City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, and the message is called, I Will Make You Fishers of Men. We hope you are blessed by the message today. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's pray. Join me in prayer. Father, we give you the, the, the thanks that um, you, you deserve. We thank you. We praise you. And we need you. I pray for your Holy Spirit to move and work in this place as your word is preached, as your word is taught, that we would come to the understanding of who you are and what we need to do in light of who you are what you've done for us. Thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the indwelling spirit in every Christian in this room. And I thank you for the the spirit of God that moves like the wind and moves upon people's hearts that are yet to know you, to draw you into into your presence, to be saved, to be redeemed, to have forgiveness of sins and to become a child of God. Thank you. Thank you for fishing for us and catching us, Lord, when we were running the other way. I'm so thankful. Lord, we give you praise. We thank you for your word today. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, it's really good to be with you all. Continuing our journey through Matthew chapter 4, or through Matthew, and here we are in chapter 4. And... There's just a really sweet familiarity with this text. I think a lot of us have read this before. We're, we're familiar with this phrase or this idea of Jesus calling his disciples and this well-known phrase, I will make you fishers of men. I hope, though, that it's not so familiar that we don't really say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me here? What is it that you want to speak to my heart? So let's just all be really attentive if we remember, which we've referenced so many times from this pulpit, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, it will never get old here, okay? We're not going to stop talking about the Great Commission. But Matthew 28, if you remember what it says, it gives clear instruction that the disciple, make, that disciple making includes teaching others, and here's the quote, to observe what I have commanded you. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. Go into the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, and as part of that process of disciple-making, he says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's an incredibly important phrase. Teach them to observe. We can't make people do things as much as we wish we could, but we can teach them and point them, we can point each other to what Christ has commanded, say, 
look at this. This is the truth. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. And so today, in our text, we are observing one of those such commands. It's important, knowing the Great Commission, and it's actually interesting, when you start looking at the life of Jesus, and you start seeing that he says things, and you can just go, there's a command. That's something that Jesus commanded that his disciples do. By the Great Commission, we are commanded to then observe what he commanded. You guys hear what I'm saying? Sounds very simplistic. It is so good, though, because we don't we often wonder, like, what are we supposed to be doing as Christians? Like, what is, and and you, we have this sense of lostness at times, like running our, spinning our wheels. There's so much that Jesus said, so much that he told us to do. And it's not that he's telling us to just do these things so we can be better people. Jesus is the Son of God, God in human flesh, and his words We've already, met, already established every word that comes from the mouth of God is more important than bread for us. So here we are in this early part of Jesus' life with his disciples, and we are going to observe one of those commands. It's hard to categorize really an importance level of this command. If you were to say, well, Jesus made a lot of commands. What's the most important one? I mean, shouldn't we, be, we should pay attention to those really important ones. This is up there. Right, this one's up there, what he does here. Of course, he tells the disciples at one time the two most important commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are extremely important. All of them are good. We know, based on the, where we left off last time, if you just kind of glance back to verse 17 of, the, of this same chapter, chapter 4, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So our context is he's in Capernaum, a fisherman community, a, a community full of many Gentiles. Lots of, there's a lot of Jewish population there as well, but a lot of Gentiles. And he has just come onto the scene, and Matthew is just so aware that this is the light of the world. Jesus Christ is shining light in Capernaum. We know that Jesus preached the kingdom and repentance from sin as part of his ministry. It was a major part of what he did. Here we have on record, Jesus went about, Jesus from there began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was a preacher, right? Jesus proclaimed, he, he proclaimed the coming kingdom and the present kingdom. The kingdom is among us. The kingdom is near. Repent, turn from your sins and follow Jesus. We know that that was part of his ministry, but that wasn't going to be done alone. And so as he begins to preach, we now see in this next part of chapter 4 where he's going to start recruiting people to help on that mission, to be part of the kingdom mission together. And so that's what Jesus begins to do. He begins to recruit, and the kingdom begins to expand. We are getting to witness the beginning of the expansion of Christ's kingdom on earth as he, as he calls these these four fishermen in our story, to follow him. Now, we have talked about the kingdom several times here, especially through Daniel. The kingdom comes up plenty of times here in, the, in our study through Matthew. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not just something that we join. So though we're seeing Jesus is calling these four to himself, it's almost as though they're joining his ranks. It's not just that. It's not just something that we join the kingdom is literally a king to serve. 
The kingdom of Christ has Christ at the head. And if you serve him as king, you are part of that kingdom. It's everywhere he rules and reigns. That's amazing. It, the vastness of that, that it's not limited to a geography. It's not limited to a certain space or is Jesus here? Is he over there? What's he doing in this part of the world? That, he's, he's all over the place through his church, through those whose hearts are captivated by the gospel and who have responded in faith. He is, he is Lord. He is king. That's where the kingdom is. So if we start to think about it like that, that Jesus is the king and where Christ rules and reigns, that is his kingdom, this sort of begins to look a little, bit, a little bit different. It's not just something to join. It's a person to follow. It's Jesus Christ, the king of kings. First thing I want to really observe that is, has a lot of application for us is where does Jesus begin to call these men? Where does Jesus begin to call and recruit people for this kingdom mission of preaching the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom, and calling others to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Where does he do that? And here's where you need to see. He begins right where he is. He's already in Capernaum. It's his hometown. And what we see in verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, which is in his hometown, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. But what we gather from this is that he begins right where he is. And I know that we have all struggled with this sort of thing. Could God use me better, more efficiently, more effectively, if I were somewhere else? If I was at a different job? You can't tell me that hasn't crossed your mind? If I could just get a different job... If I could just live in a different neighborhood, if I was in a different circumstance, then I would be used by God. Then I could start making disciples. I would live on mission for him if I had a different circumstance. But we get from Jesus, though there were many better places in human terms that he could have started his ministry with a lot more popularity, he begins right where he is. And he's walking along the seashore. And he sees these men. Now we're going to see that there was a background with these men already. But we get this idea that Jesus begins right where he is. Spurgeon said, our sphere is where we are. That's where our sphere is. What's your sphere of influence? Who are the people that God has called you to minister to, to call to come to Christ, to be a blessing to? Just stop thinking about what about all these other places I could be. Where are you working? What is your community who are the people you see in, day in and day out, week in and week out? Who are the people that God has brought around you? Are you a boss and you have employees? Man, you've got a sphere of influence. Preach the gospel. Call men to repentance. Are you an employee and you've got, you've got coworkers that are just annoying and you don't want to be there because they're not serving Christ and you are and it just is such a pain? That is your sphere. Begin to walk about, be like the Apostle Paul. You see the idols, it's troubling. Preach the gospel. Love these people and preach the gospel. Call them to Christ. We know Christ is the light. We talked about this at our city groups this week. The influence of the light in darkness. If you leave that place, what other light would there be? You have to think about that. Don't just think in terms of where else could I go and how could God use me if I was out there. 
while Jesus was walking by the sea. Now, this wasn't his first encounter with these guys. There's a little bit of a, a context that we need to see. It seems from Matthew's perspective that this would have been uh, their first time seeing Jesus. But again, the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have a lot of vantage point. We can see different vantage points that help us to put together a total picture. And also John, in this case, does show us a little bit of uh, this background as well. So turn over to John chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 35 to 42. And we're going to see another encounter, another time where... uh, these names are mentioned, these early apostles. So John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. It says, the next day, again, John, now this is speaking of John the Baptist at this point. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. So that's the Andrew from our story that we were just reading in Matthew. Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, who is Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now this, we know, is before our account that we're reading because at this point, John the Baptist has already been arrested. Remember from our last time together? John the Baptist is arrested. Jesus goes into Capernaum. Prior to that is the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had disciples that became disciples of Jesus Christ. And John was okay with that. That's the Lamb of God. Go with him. But here we find Andrew and Peter. One thing I want to point out, though it's not immediately in our text, it is involving these men. But notice how these brothers, a brother bringing another brother to Jesus Christ. It may be that even in our room right now that there is a specific situation where you, where you could find great comfort in this. Like our family is, is often the hardest to minister to and say, hey, you need to follow Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The people we love the most that are outside of Christ, it's so, so difficult. I don't have all the answers as to why that's the case. It just is a common, I think, a common trial for all of us. But here we have an encounter. We have Andrew going to his brother Simon and saying, we have found the Messiah. I just want you to picture that scene for a moment, what that might have been like. Now, these guys were waiting The Hebrew people were waiting for the Messiah. And so to have him come around and say, we found him. Like, yeah, they've been saying that for years. (laughs) Is he really the guy? But he takes him to him. And we know that there were other encounters. Luke tells us something else incredible that I think is parallel with the scene. But there's, again, different vantage points. But just take comfort in this and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord today and even this week. 
about family. And I'm, I need this too, guys. I need this too. I have family members that do not walk with Jesus. Not in my immediate home, but, but family members. And I want, them, I want to see them come to Christ. I want to see them redeemed and be saved. So, Lord, give us boldness to be like Andrew and just say, I know the Messiah. I know the Savior of the world. I mean, people are hurting. Right? You don't have to look very far. To, and, and you know the people in your direct family, they're watching the news and they're distraught about the same things that everybody else in the world is distraught about. And Jesus Christ is the answer. So God give us boldness like Andrew. But we're starting to see, like these, are, these men, as they meet Jesus, they start to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And it's as simple as that. Now, Mark's account is also very similar. Actually, really, really similar to what we see here in Matthew. Not a whole lot of information, but these guys fishing down by the sea, mending their nets, and Jesus walks by and calls them. It's Luke's account that gives us some, some really awesome details. So we're going to look there. Look at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Luke 5, beginning in verse 1. Luke recalls this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God... He, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had got out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, if you study this, you will find that some people say, No, that's, that's got to be a different scene. It's, it's, now, I don't know, right? There's just... I, I don't know. Clearly, they're down by the ocean. There's some fishing going on, and here appears Jesus. Peter already has a familiarity with Jesus where he's, he, he knows, seems to know who he is, but he's not following him yet. He's not yet a fisher of men. But Christ does this incredible miracle with these fishermen, and Peter is struck with awe at the kind of man that is before him. And bows down. It even says, depart from me. Knowing that he's in the presence of holiness. Now the, th the similarities are the things that I want to point out. The similarities between Luke and Matthew and Mark. In all three, there's a call to serve in Christ's kingdom. And that's what they're being called to do. I will make you fishers of men. 
from now on you will fish for men. That's what Jesus is doing. He's calling these brothers, these men, into his kingdom service. He's saying, now, from now on, your life is going to change. It's not going to be what it was. Now you're following me. Now, for them, it was much more radical than you might imagine because in this day, for a disciple to follow a rabbi was to literally spend every day with him. To follow him, to go with him, to sleep where he slept, to go where he go, shop where he shopped, watch him, listen to him, learn from him. And they would do this for a great length of time. And so that's what's, that, what's happening here. But Jesus is calling them to serve him and to serve in the kingdom. The second thing that's, that's similar between all these is there's a response to that call. Now, both Mark and Matthew seem to... to record that call more clearly, where there's an immediacy where they begin to follow. They drop everything and they begin to follow. But that's something that's similar here. And then thirdly, the circumstances surrounding those that he called. There was something going on as Jesus approached that seaside and began to call them to follow him, to be fishers of men. So I want to look at those circumstances real quick. One thing that we notice is that they were busy at work. Jesus walked up to the seashore. One, one account tells us that they're mending their nets. The other guys are, are fishing. The, they had just gone through a night of fishing, and there's nothing to do, but they're trying, right? They're working hard. <clears throat> I think a lot of times, and this is for the Christian, this is application for the Christian, where we feel like what we're doing is a waste of time, And again, it goes back to the other application. If we could just be doing something else, then I would begin to work and serve in Christ's service. But there's something to be said about being hard at work and then saying, God, use me, call me in whatever service I'm currently doing, use me. Notice how he even takes what they currently did as fishermen and he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men as they were busy about what they were doing. So what I want to just say and encourage you all to do is don't just sit idly. Don't be idle. Don't be idle Christians. God will use you as you are working, as you are going about your business. Christ will come to you, and I'm not talking about he's just going to come in some, uh, you know, a ghost is going to walk up to you and he's going to look like Jesus. I'm talking about the, the... awareness of Christ's call from his word will come to you as you are working and serving him in whatever task that God has given you. We have a lot of different professions in this room and and tasks and things that you're all doing, and all of it matters. All of it matters. I think a lot of times we can get discontent and say, if I could just serve the Lord, and what that means is quit my job and just serve him full time. Like, if I could just... But you are needed in your workplaces. You are needed where you are. Think about the lostness. Think about the strategy. We can use that word with Jesus Christ. The strategy of Christ to call us fishers of men and the things that it takes and the thought that it takes to to go into the whole world and preach the gospel. We cannot just retreat. And don't be idle. I trust that as we are working and we're being faithful, God's going to call you. He's going to call you. The other thing that's very similar about these and about the circumstance is that they were just regular men. There was something very common about them. In fact, they were so common that because they were Galileans, they were made fun of it. 
later on in the story of Jesus with these disciples, he's around people that are, I can tell by your accent that you're a Galilean. You must not be very educated. That's who these guys were. Just common people. They didn't stand out as elite in the community. They were normal people, regular people. Now, I'm not saying you're not normal if you're smart here. If you're smart and you're a genius, you're normal too. This, <laughs> it has to do with the heart. These, these men were humble fishermen, and Jesus came and called them. We don't need to attain some sort of status first before Christ calls us into his service. He wants to use you right now. He really wants to use you right now. If we could just be people, a church that just says, God, wherever I am, use me. Help me to be a fisher of men. Now, maybe you're not even a Christian yet. and Maybe you think you're a Christian, but you're not then what your call is, is to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. To follow him as the Lord of your life. This is when you go back a little bit in, in the chapters that we've been in. See, Jesus is now encountering his first disciples. He had already, he's calling them into, into really full-time discipleship. These men are going to be his apostles. They are going to start what becomes an incredible revolution in the entire world. And it, what does it do? It results in the entire world being covered in Christians in every part of the globe. And it began here with Jesus calling these four fishermen. That's the beginning. That's the history of Christianity. And it goes back even further, doesn't it? It goes into the Old Testament, the prophecies of Christ, and that Jesus has always had his church, his people, his chosen ones. But this is incredible for us to note. The other thing that's very similar that I already mentioned is the call. What is the call? And this is gonna, we're going to take a lot of our time to focus on this. But look what it says. Go back to Matthew chapter 4 again. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, and here's the call, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. I already mentioned that this was sort of a normal, in a, in a way, this was a normal rabbinic tradition. A rabbi would have his disciples. But what was not normal about this, it was usually done the other way around, where the disciples would choose their rabbi. So there's something that's uh, countercultural here is that Jesus is, is literally walking about, hand selecting his disciples. And he's probably picking people that other more astute rabbis would not have picked. Which tells us something. Who, who does he call? Not the wise of this world, not the rich of this world, but the humble, the foolish, in order to confound the wise. That's a comfort for me. <laughs> and this should, this should be a comfort to anybody who is humble in heart. But so this is Christ. He's doing this. He's calling disciples. He's walking around, picking, hand-selecting. Something I want to cover, just in case you're curious, is, is this the point of their salvation? I've asked this before. If you've read Scripture, you might wonder, when were the disciples actually saved? Is it here? Is this their point of salvation? Is this when they were regenerated and born again? And so then the, the natural question would be, well, Christ hasn't died on the cross yet. There is no yet, there was no atonement for sin like there would be three years from that day. 
They had not yet believed in the resurrection, and the Holy Spirit had not come yet as a gift from Jesus Christ to then indwell the believer. He had, Jesus has said to Nicodemus at other times in chapter 3 of John, the Holy Spirit goes like the wind. You must be born again. He said that to a Pharisee. So I would say yes and no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the Lord really worked in these disciples. Some would look to a passage later in the upper room after Jesus' resurrection where he looks at them and he says, and he, says, uh, and he breathes upon them and the Holy Spirit, he said, the Holy Spirit be with you in the upper room. And it's almost like the, the Lord just gave them a special helping of the Holy Spirit right there in the upper room. Some would say that was at the point in which they were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, made into a brand new person. Later in the book of Acts, we know the Holy Spirit comes upon the whole church, including these that were in the, the upper room, the 120, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So all that to say, just do your own study and figure it out. Tell me, we can talk about it later. What's amazing, though, is that we do see what seems to be a progress, like a, a process, I mean. There's, there's something about discipleship where we cannot expect oftentimes immediate results. And I think that's actually one of the beauties of discipleship. You can even begin to disciple somebody before they've come to Christ. And that's what we should be doing. If you have an unbeliever in your life or somebody that you, they have not confessed their sin, they're not, you, I don't know if they're born again, disciple them. Begin to point them to Jesus and leave it up to the Holy Spirit. He's the one who regenerates. He's the one who converts the heart to then hate sin and love Christ, to repent of sin and turn to Jesus. So whatever the actual scenario is here, we do know he is calling them to his service. He's calling them to follow him. The call of follow me is an imperial call. We have to think about who is saying this. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of heaven and earth, was on earth at the, at the shore of Galilee speaking to sinners and saying, follow me. That's an amazing thing that, first of all, Jesus is, was here dwelling among men and then saying, I want you to follow me. I want you. Come with me. And we know from the text that it was a call, the term follow me, the phrase follow me, for every single person in this room, if you were to follow Jesus or if you are a follower of Jesus, that the call is a call to leave everything else. It's a call to leave everything and spend every day and night watching, listening, and learning from Jesus. In this relationship that they had here that was fairly normal between rabbis and teachers, that's what they were going to be doing. Daily, recognizing him as teacher, and they were his pupils. Listening to him. So just evaluate. Think about yourself as a disciple. Think about yourself as somebody who says, and if you do, I'm a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of followers of Jesus in this room. Praise God. Praise God. Most of our church is saved. <laughs> It sounds bad. <laughs> the true church is in Christ, right? The true church is in Christ. Not everybody who comes to a church building is in Christ, right? 
That's the reality. So, are you following Jesus? What a great place to go. Are you, is he your teacher? Is he the one that you go to, not just for advice, but he is the source of truth for you? And you will go to him, you will watch and listen as we have his word, and you will say, what does Jesus say about this? Jesus is ultimately laying the foundation of the church with these men. I absolutely love that this is the beginning of it all, but I want you to be challenged in this, church, to really think about that. Are you following Jesus Christ? What does that look like for you? The next thing that he says, follow me, he says, I will make you. That's an important part because he doesn't just say follow me. This next phrase is so important. Follow me, I will make you. There's a lot of authority in that. Jesus, the Son of God, is God in human flesh, and he is speaking with authority, follow me, because I can do something that you cannot do. And there's an admission in that. When we come to follow Christ, we are admitting we need him. I can't make myself into what I need to be. Only Christ can make us. Only Christ can fashion us into instruments in his hands to be used in this kingdom. So there's a lot of authority there. There's a lot of power. The creativity that is wrapped up in this, the God of creation is saying this. And so something that comes to mind that I want you guys to see is Ephesians chapter 2. Go over to Ephesians 2, look at verse 8 through 10. Another very well-known verse. Flip over there in your Bibles. Ephesians 2. Thinking about this idea of him making us forming us, transforming us, turning us into something, a work that only Christ can do. Let's go back to verse 5, actually, and just read through, because it's so good. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us in, in, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you guys see that phrase? We are his workmanship. You may have already, you might be ahead of me in this or ahead of others. The word here in the Greek is poema. For workmanship, it's the same. It's the word where we get our word poem. We are his workmanship. What do we recognize about poems? If you're like me, poems are like, I don't even understand them. Certain poems, like the ones that I can talk about with my daughter. I, I say a simple rhyme, and she's like, oh, like that's a poem. You just rhyme two words. But some poetry is weird, right? Like it's nutty. It doesn't make sense. There's no flow. It's not what I learned in school. <laughs> but there's poetry. It's art. It's art, right? It's artistic. There's something, there's a creator behind it. There's a mind behind it, and it's God. 
That's, that's us. When he stood before these disciples and he said, follow me, I will make you. He's, it's the God of, the, of heaven with creative power to transform a life that is messy and to make it into something for his glory. To truly transform lives. See, the world looks at this completely different. The world is sadly happy in their mess. And sometimes even a little bit rejoicing in in the sin and reveling in the unrighteousness. When we come to Jesus Christ in that place or from that place of unrighteousness, he, without a doubt, he will transform us and change us. Sometimes it feels instant, right? Some of you in your, in your story of, of how, when you came to follow Jesus Christ, there was an immediate change. But you weren't completely cleaned up in, in all of your outward manifestations of, of habits and things like that. And, and life itself continues to be chaotic, right? And there's still people around us and sin around us and things that we struggle with. So it's just so comforting to see that the beginning of our call is a promise from Jesus Christ to make us. And that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He finishes the work that he starts. He begins the work, praise God, that he begins the work. He initiates the work. He calls us to himself. But there's a lot of authority in here. Follow me, I will make you into fishers of men. There's also a promise. If you just stop at, I will, that's a promise. Not only is Jesus commanding them to follow him, but he's saying, follow me, I am going to do something. So all of us who, are, who struggle with, is God work at, at work in my life? I just have another question for you. Are you following him? Jesus promises his followers that he will make them. He will make them into fishers of men. That is an ultimate goal, and that is something that we all should be involved in, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But let's start with the one who's making the promise. I will do this. And so hold on to that promise. The promise of I will is tied to follow me. So don't think in those moments when you're despairing and you're wondering why is God not at work. I want to challenge those specifically who are also walking in disobedience and not following him. Follow him. Every step of your, of your life, follow him. Look to his word. Put your faith in Christ. Now the problem with all of this is sin. That's a problem. <laughs> because we can't follow him in our, in our own strength. And the, most of the time, we don't actually want to follow him, if we're honest, as Fleshly people, there's parts of us in each day where we're thinking, this is, this is not that fun. This is hard. So that is a problem, our sinful pride. When Jesus says, follow me, I will make you, what we want to say is, no, I will. No, I will do it. I've got this. And we know how that messes everything up. Every area of your life and my life where we say, no, I will, will result in absolute chaos. It's going to continue to be messy. Marriages will continue to struggle. Relationships will struggle. Things will, it will not, because you're not walking in God's will. So we don't want to be that way. Not I will, not, not my will, 
but Christ, your will be done, Lord. You will make me. Is every Christian a disciple of Jesus Christ? It's a good question to ask. Is every Christian a disciple? Or is every Christian a follower of Jesus? This is getting into some theology, right? A little bit. What do we believe about salvation? How is someone saved? They're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. That is the most important thing. The sad thing is that there are many in this world that have muddied the water a little bit by saying, I'm a Christian, but they're not following Jesus. I would subscribe to the fact that every true Christian is a disciple of Jesus. Every true Christian is a disciple. And if you're not following him yet, there's going to be a very soon shift. For someone to say their entire life that they're a follower of Jesus or that they're a Christian and they've never taken a step in obedience in the Great Commission, I challenge that person's salvation. Because what fruit would come from being a Christian greater than wanting to follow Christ himself and do what he says? So don't pretend Right? We don't want to pretend. And the people around us that are, that are Christians, that what do we need? Guys, we need serious Christians today. Serious Christians. So that if you have a friend that says they're a Christian, but they don't follow Christ, stop letting them think that they're a Christian and they're not following Christ. Open your mouth. Open the word. Say, let's follow Jesus. Because here's what Christ says. This is what his word tells us. I do, like this has been on my mind a lot, and I'm sure yours as well. I, I, I hope what I'm seeing in our world today is God moving in an amazing way. That he's, I want to see God sweep across our land, don't you? In a way that is so mind-blowing that we're just, we just know that it's God. But you know what's going to come with that is serious Christians. Christians that are standing up upon the word of God and are calling people to repentance and are actually living for Jesus Christ. New City Church, be those people. Let's be those people. Do you know how badly our community, our midcoast, all of your neighbors need Jesus Christ? So we need to do this in his strength. Is there a difference between a Christian and a disciple? There shouldn't be. Sadly, there is confusion. Sadly, there is. But it's not because of God's word. And it certainly wasn't God's ultimate intention, but he is using us. We know that salvation is free. Salvation is free. But discipleship is costly. And I think that's the problem. It's kind of a problem and it's a good thing. Discipleship is costly. We receive the free gift of salvation and we say, thank you, Jesus. But then you read the next, follow me. I'm going to make you into something. There's going to be pain and transformation. I'm going to call you to repent and, and to not serve yourself and your own pleasures. That's actually not going to be your regular mode of life is to do what you want. It's going to be due to do what God wants and what he desires. That's costly. There's going to be people in your life that you're going to have to shed for a moment, for a season, because they're influencing you in a way that, sh that is sinful, that is unrighteous, so you have to, that costs something. You have to sometimes even cut yourself off from family. In Christ, if, if Christ is king and serving him is what matters supremely, 
then we have to be willing to shed everything that stands in the way of that. Doing it with grace and doing it with love. We don't become jerks or haters. It's not about that. It's about loving Christ supremely, putting him above everything else. But, but discipleship is costly. Becoming a fisher of men is costly. It's going to take your time. It's going to take commitment. I mean, this, mar- this, this analogy of marriage, it really does work. Right? Are you committed to your spouse? Or are you just married to them? Is there just paperwork? Or are you committed to them? Is there, so just think about it from that way. And God has given us that as a great picture. So even if you're not married in this room yet, or you haven't, whatever, that's, think about that. Or any relationship that matters and has value. Is there commitment? And that's discipleship. These men, from this point on, we see the record. They immediately dropped their nets and their father. They didn't drop their father. They left him behind. Just had to clarify but they left him behind. There's Zebedee, and we have no record of Zebedee getting angry about this. He kind of lets them go. And the mother of, of the sons of thunder, we see record of her in Scripture actually becoming a follower of Jesus. But they left that day, and they said, okay, we're with you now, Lord. That's costly. So count the cost. Count the cost. If you're in Christ today and you've not yet counted the cost or you have and what you have, de- what you have determined is that it's not worth following Jesus, then you are walking in sin and you need to follow Christ. And I pray and we need to, pray, we need to lift each other up in this, right? This isn't just a condemning thing. If you're here today and you're thinking, I have tried to follow Jesus, but I keep coming up with these these roadblocks and it's difficult. There's this decision that I need to make and I know I need to count the cost and shed it, but I keep going that way and I keep choosing that. Then you need to get around brothers and sisters and say, help me. Help me. Walk with me. I want to do this. And so that's, wow, the importance of the church, right? The body of Christ, that we're not in this alone. We're all part of each other. And when there's a weak member or a suffering member, we suffer with them and we walk with them. And we say, let's go. Come on, let's serve Christ together. But there is a cost, and I'm asking you guys to, to count the cost. We need to do that. Family relationships, think, through, think that through. Careers, comfort. What comforts are you clinging to, do we cling to, that just stands in the way of you following Jesus Christ? and becoming a fisher of men. So maybe you need to count the cost today. And maybe that's the way you need to respond. Later when we have a chance to just respond before communion and we're confessing sin, if that's you, then do it. Deal with it. Ask the Lord to help you. Cry out to him. So what's at stake here? This may not be a record of Peter, James, John, Andrew's salvation, but it is a record of them committing to follow Jesus Christ. And we know that what comes with this command is that they are going to fish for souls. That's what's at stake here. What's at stake for Christians who don't count the cost and follow Jesus? Souls are at stake. That's what's ultimately happening here. 
Look at what he says further down. Immediately they left their nets. And then verse 21. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the, son of, James the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. And from that point on, they are with Jesus, walking with Jesus, watching his model and trying to do what he just did with them. You know what's amazing about Christianity is it's something that's reproducible. It's something that's able to be modeled and then reproduced, which is why we talk, talk about multiplication here all the time. Every disciple of Jesus Christ that is here should be thinking about how do I multiply myself? Okay, that's, that sounds a little vain. The world doesn't need more of me, right? It needs more of Jesus. But we've been given this model of taking what Jesus has done and passing it on to others so they can do the same. So we should have a part about us that agrees with the Apostle Paul that says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. You should be able to invite people into your life. That is, an, that is a convicting thing. I remember, I remember the day where I thought that to myself, and then I was challenged, can people actually follow you and then see Jesus Christ? Can, if somebody were to follow you right now, your pattern of life and everything that you do, would they see Jesus? Would it be as though they are following you right into the presence of Christ? Think about that. And if it's not the case, pray that the Lord would give you the grace to humble yourself and begin to walk in obedience because you want, we want, each one of us wants to be able to say to anybody, follow me. I will show you Jesus Christ. It's biblical, it's scriptural. But there's something that's at stake here. And again, like I said, it's souls. Ultimately, what's happening here is this is a big parable in a way. It's a parable of what's going to happen and what has happened for centuries, for generations of people coming into relationship with Jesus Christ, coming to follow him. We have them at the sea. The Sea of uh, Galilee was this massive sea, a raging sea at times, out of control. It's a great picture of the world. The raging sea of lostness and people all over the place that need Jesus Christ. And there they are, and the disciples are on the edge of it. In fact, these men were fish as well in the eyes of Christ, according to his analogy. He is fishing for men and will call them to do the same. They're being called to be employed in his kingdom work, which is to fish for souls. The question is, will we delay or will we be immediate like these fishermen? They immediately left their nets. They dropped and they followed him. They followed him closely. Is that what we're in the business of? Following Christ closely, watching him, following his example. John Piper has a quote. It's just very simple. How free fish feel before they are caught. How free fish feel before they are caught. Isn't that the world? They feel free, right? They're not free. <laughs> They're not free. They're actually in bondage. They're not free. Christ has called us into this employment, this work, this task of fishing for men. We were all there. We all felt so free. Now being caught by Christ, are we not free? Being in his kingdom, are we not free to actually being a disciple of Jesus Christ? being free of sin and being free of guilt and shame because he's took it and absorbed it all on, him, 
on himself at the cross. He absorbed the wrath of God at his death and at his resurrection conquered sin and death. This is who's calling them to fish for men because souls are at stake. This is what's happening. We all felt that way free. Freedom is in Jesus Christ. Freedom is not in anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ. No church, no tradition, nothing outside of Christ can free. No feeling. So if you're still chasing the feeling of freedom, it's not going to result in true freedom. It's only in Jesus. It's in Christ. How free we are now. And so I want to just, for you all, as we're just going to wrap this up, thinking about, one, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of Christ? And we see in the Word what that means. To follow Him is to be a fisher of men. Okay? That's going to be a part of our lives somehow, some way. We are going to be used by Christ to call someone into the kingdom of Jesus and be saved. That's an amazing call. We get to be part of that. Brothers and sisters, we get to be part of that. If it's been a while since you've shared the gospel with someone, do it this week. Do it this week. Why not? Just seriously, ask yourself, why not? <laughs> I've, I've been commissioned by Christ with his power and his authority to go into the world and make disciples. So I'm going to do it by his power, by his, his, his authority, his strength. Secondly, though, the reality of fish needing to be caught is the constant reality is that there are souls that are heading for hell. There are souls that are literally heading for hell. They're dying. There are people that are dying. There are people that are living in death and lostness outside of a relationship with Christ. And everyone who responds to follow Jesus Christ is freed from that is free from that. Do we not want that, church? You sound excited. <laughs> I know, I put, I put these on you last minute. I'm sorry. And it's not about excitement, right? It's not about excitement. It's about being obedient, just walking in obedience to Jesus. However you need to respond to that today. We're going to have communion in a moment. I'm going to have Mark come up, and he's going to share and lead us in that. And then we'll worship. We'll have sing a couple songs. But let me just challenge you guys. We're going to have a moment to just be quiet before the Lord, how do you need to respond? If you need to repent because you've, re you've been pushing against this call or there's something that you need to count, you need to count the cost. And the, count, and the cost is, is steep, but it's still worth it. In fact, Jesus said, he who is not willing to deny himself cannot follow me. It's a, that's a heavy cost. So whatever you need to do to respond, to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord. If he's convicting you of sin, if he's encouraging you today, whatever it is, rejoice in him, repent from sin, turn to him, follow him, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord, believe what he did on the cross, and let's, let's fish for souls. Let's be fishers of men, relying on his strength. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. We give you um, ourselves because we can't do this on our own. This is a high calling. And I thank you that we don't do it in our own strength. We look to you, Jesus. You are the ultimate soul winner. You are the one who ultimately, sovereignly fishes for souls. And in fact, your word is so clear that you know each and every one of your own. You know them. You see them. You also call them sheep, lost sheep. 
And so we don't go into this world thinking that it's impossible to be used by you. We go fishing and we go looking for lost people with confidence because you are the sovereign God and you have an elect people before the foundation of the world. And we go in confidence just as you have called us to follow you, just as you have saved us when it seemed impossible. There are others in this city that have yet to follow you, but they are yours. They are yours. As your word instructs us, I have other sheep who are not of this fold yet. Oh God, send us out. And I pray we would count the cost and that we would, after counting the cost, see that it is absolutely worth it. Because what did you pay? How did you pay for us? You paid with your life. And so we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the redemption of sinners. It is through the blood, the sacrificial blood of Jesus and the resurrection that gives us power over sin and death through you, through you, Lord. If there's anybody here, Lord, that needs to just say, I surrender, I surrender, I'm done. My sin is heavy. God, free people today. Free a lost soul. Draw them into your kingdom to be fishers of men. Lord, move in this place. We thank you for your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more messages from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next week.